Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Hey, Rory. We're rolling now, Shyam. We are rolling. Today, we're actually, we're talking attention as part of our season two focus on cognition. We're talking about a component of cognition known as attention. This is something that I have been uh, noticing and reflecting upon while I've been on my school holidays. But before we start, let's let everybody know that we're playing with a new sort of structure to the podcast. There's a lot of love for On The Reg. So what we're going to try to do in this podcast is... Spend about 10 minutes focusing on a aspect of self-regulated learning and how it can be applied in life and then spend the other half of the episode talking about how that area of self-regulated learning can be applied in school. Yeah. And listeners, we're open to feedback. And so please keep the feedback coming in. We appreciate it and we'll continue to to tweak. And tinker. Yeah. Tinker until we perhaps get the right mix. So as I was saying, Shai, I'm on my school holidays and as I need to do on my school holidays... I often have to do schoolwork. And the other day I was sitting down to write report comments or assessment comments that for student work that I had corrected and marked. And within five minutes of sitting at my computer, I was thinking about the ice bath that I just ordered online and was thinking about how I weren't living in an apartment and it's going to be on the balcony and how am I going to fill this ice bath? And then before I knew it, I was on the Bunnings website, Googling indoor hoses and connections for the indoor hose or the hose to the indoor tap because I don't have an outdoor tap. And I've probably only been at my desk for about 10 minutes. And I actually thought of you whenever I was sitting there. I was like, Cheyenne would be disgusted if he knew what I was doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) And it just got me thinking to, you know, I know a lot of strategies for attentional control and attention, but I feel like it is really within my human nature and most people's human nature to be easily distracted and I would like to be better at it but I suppose that's going to require me to have conscious thought and focus and motivation to employ strategies before I start anything that I want to focus fully on I want to know do you ever experience the challenges that I have (laughs) are you like a robot that can just go no matter what you know I think it's so normal for us and I say us collectively as human beings the notion of mind wandering is very normal and that happens i think this is one reason why i I view self-regulated learning as a practice because even if you have all the strategies and the knowledge and the awareness in the world there are moments in our biological design for a range of reasons you know protective mechanisms really that our mind wanders and is looking for other information or other things to think about uh so on one hand you know don't be too hard on yourself in that instance and then on the other hand is that there are amazing things that we can do to reduce or minimize that mind wandering and I experience it and I think now I am very conscious of the things that I put in place in preparation for focus time to make sure that that time is protected and I mentioned to you on the phone the other day Rory that I actually get quite frustrated now when (laughs) I am set up for a period of focus time and then it'll be a phone call particularly from a family member etc that uh, I mentally go oh this must might be an urgent emergency I I should I should answer it because if anyone who knows me now I have an Apple watch but I don't have any notifications that come through to my Apple watch with the exception of phone calls and same with my phone I don't have any notifications for anything other than 
than phone calls, phone calls and messages on my phone. But the only thing that actually vibrates is phone calls. And so when I see a phone call, I typically think, oh, it must be important. And so when that disrupts my focus, I get very frustrated. That's not important. Actually not, not an urgent phone call. But anyway, yeah, so there's things that we can do. So outside of a purely learning context, is there any sort of strategies that you use to help you do focus work? Yeah, yeah, actually. Well, I wanted to ask you a question, Rory, before we dive into my, my strategies is yeah. in that situation where you found yourself on the Bunnings website. Yeah. What had you done before you decided you were going to sit down and do some work to make sure that that was going to be a period of focus for you? Joe, you know, I actually did. One thing that I do do is I leave my phone elsewhere. So I don't feel like I need to have, you know, you've got a child and things like that, and you might need to be on call for that sort of thing. And so your phone might be beside you. I actually have got to the point where I really enjoy leaving my phone somewhere else because it creates a sense of freedom for you to get into the work. And whenever you get into the deep work, you forget that the phone even existed. And it's almost like that whenever you get back up off the table after the hour or the two hours that you set and you go to your phone, it almost becomes a bit of a reward. And that's the way that I like to look at it now. So my phone as a distraction is actually a non-issue, but I probably didn't do anything else other than that. in order to help focus my attention. Yeah, okay. I actually, I do exactly the same thing with my phone. So while I acknowledge that there's sometimes emergencies, that's why I have the phone calls come through to my watch, but no other notifications. So I can still put my phone outside my office or elsewhere. As long as it's within range of my watch, I can still hear the phone, essentially. I think it's the things that we do in preparation for a period of focus that actually can have all the benefit. And so... The things that come to my mind is, yes, absolutely reducing distractions by putting your phone away, but it could also be notifications on your computer. For educators, it could be closing your email (laughs) and saying, right, for the next 40 minutes, closing your email. One of the strategies that I think is really, really potent. <laughs> and you mentioned it just before when we were talking about different attentional control strategies in classroom, but you mentioned the notion of a timer and you yeah. know, we'll get to the timer and the way you use it in a classroom, but I think timers are underrated. And I think you can use a timer just by the simple setting of a timer can have, and this is from personal experience. I think there's setting of the timer itself almost activates a portion of your brain that goes, okay, I'm only committing to whether it's the Pomodoro technique, which is, you know, 25 minute block or 20 minute block, or I work in 40 minute blocks. I I know that works for me. So I always set a timer for 40 minutes. And it's almost like releasing a level of responsibility to even thinking about time. All I have to think about is focus and work. Yeah. And so those it's are creating big... a boundary around that focus or work, which gives you clarity about when it will end. Correct. Which means that if I want to look at the Bunnings website or I have a thought <laughs> about something <laughs> that I can, in fact, actually do that at the end of that 40 minute period. And it might be useful having a notepad beside you for distractions. You know, those like mental notifications that come in like the phone. It's like, oh, I need to do this or oh, I forgot to do this you can actually just write it down on a piece of paper beside you. And it's then like banking that idea to come back to at the end of the 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember reading Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. And in there, he he says at some point, I'll have to find the quote, but it was something along the lines of, he writes things down, not to remember them, but to create mental space for him to think about other things. And so it was like, you know, you're just getting the thought out of your mind so you can park it and not have to think about it. Hmm. And I suppose, so going back to the example that I gave, something that I have done in the past, and I probably 
could I, well I should have done was give myself even if you don't have a timer a certain amount of comments that you can get done and then have a break so oh split my class in half and say I'm going to do x amount of comments before I get off this chair and if you don't need the internet you can even switch the internet off because all you're doing is typing into a document yeah if you have the ability to do that yeah and there was something you said earlier on which I actually did do in that moment, I was beating myself up about it mentally. Like I had a bit of negative self-talk, started to talk actually quite fixed in terms of you always do this. You find it hard to stay on task. You should be better at this because of all of the knowledge that you have. Fine. But you said something that I always remind myself of, which is that it's a practice and with effort and repeated efforts, it gets better and it can be trained and then I should go back, set myself a smaller goal and just say, all right, let's try and do it. Let's do two comments and see how we go. And then feel happy about the fact that you did those two comments without getting distracted and then do another two more. And so you're just breaking it into smaller goals rather than I'll do 10. Yes. Yeah. Chunking it down to smaller tasks and creating those small levels of success is going to kind of hit that dopamine (laughs) and allow you then to almost get some momentum, Mm -hmm. uh, which in essence would increase your focus. But one thing I do try and teach with with young people that I work with and even at at the university is that when people recognize that you have an awareness of that potentially negative self-talk and and reframing that from a a lens of curiosity. So when I experience distraction, because I'm not immune to it, right, my attention goes wandering, my mind wanders. Uh, when it happens, I'm always really curious as to what's happening for me as an individual in that moment and why my mind is doing that. Is it a thought that is particularly pertinent for me that needs to be considered? Or is it simply that actually I haven't had something to eat, I need to go for a walk, I need to take a break because I actually haven't got up from my desk for the last two hours? Is that why I'm recognizing my mind is starting to wander more than normal? Just unrelated to that, something that I've become acutely aware of myself as a person is that Whenever I get out of bed and I do my morning routine, whether I go for a walk or go for a run or whatever, and then I try to get into the work that I know that I have to do earlier, that enables me to stay focused for longer because I feel like I'm being productive as one of the first things that I do. But on this day, I probably got to that writing task, the first sort of cognitively demanding task that I had to do that was work-related at like 11.30. And to me, half the day has already disappeared by then. And so because I haven't kind of set the high quality habit or intention or engaged with a high quality habit of starting early, I'm almost then kind of like half beaten before I begin. That's definitely how I feel about tasks that I have to do that are work related or cognitively demanding. It just gets me thinking of self-regulated learning as a decision-making process, right? If we think about that decision to bring your mind back to whatever it is that you wanted to focus on or the energy that's required to make decisions about the work that you want to focus on. We know that our decisions compound over the course of the day. And so as the day goes on, our ability to self-regulate and make good decisions in in a learning context is going to start to wane. Let's talk specifics in the classroom. How do we help our young people better regulate their attention? Connected to this, but something that I sort of have been thinking about a lot is how much we really impress on young people the value and the absolute necessity 
to be fully attending when they are learning in order for learning to take place. Because I do feel like there is this sort of an attitude after being in school for maybe five, 10 plus years, and you're kind of into this routine of going into classrooms and people are giving you things to do. There may be a level of unintentionality with the way that students approach their learning. And they think that if they're in the classroom, learning just happens through osmosis, like it just seeps through their skin. And I feel like it's our job as teachers to impress on learners that actually learning cannot happen that way that you need to listen really carefully and then you need to concentrate fully whenever you are doing something independently so i see like attentional teaching can be broken down into two parts there is the attention that you have to use or show whenever instruction is taking place and then there's also the intentional focus that you have to have when you are doing independent learning and you're not listening to someone or engaging with someone speaking or listening to someone when you're actually doing hard work by yourself. So there's probably two different sets of strategies that you could use. In my classroom, and I'm talking from a purely primary perspective, we bring people to the floor. Like I would very rarely do instruction when students are sitting at their desks because there's too many distractions. Some kids in my class have three pencil cases. I do not know why, but... When they're sitting at the desk and you're talking, all you can hear is the crunch of the sharpener. So everybody comes to the floor. No one brings anything with them. Uh, no devices. I set a stopwatch on occasion for myself so that the students know how long they have to listen. And then I tell them that there's things that they can do when they're on the floor. The eyes have to be on the speaker. You can't have any distractions. We try to get them to sit away from friends and they're allowed to ask themselves questions to check for understanding and they're allowed to ask questions or give comments. So we go over that sort of framework of like the things that you can do as a learner when you're on the floor. I think personally that devices should not be open at all whenever instruction is taking place. And if there needs to be resources or something like that to be shared, then that should be shared on a whiteboard by the teacher because it's too easy for students to have their computers open and the teacher could just see the back of it and they could be on any number of websites doing what they want to do while the teacher's at the front of the room. It's interesting because I'm weighing up the developmental needs, but also perhaps age of students in your yeah. class. Year six, isn't it? Right? Yeah, year six. And they're getting to that point where they don't necessarily like to come to the floor. But I think most of them know that it's beneficial. So I'm recognizing that, okay, there are, you know, developmental things that are happening for a 12-year-old and as children go on and their relationship with the technology changes, et cetera, how do, we, how do we teach kids to regulate their attention? And this is something that, Roy, you and I are always talking about is at what point, who's, who's regulating the attention? Are we regulating yeah. their attention or are they regulating their attention? And if we're regulating, how do we move towards them regulating it better? And so I'm, I'm always thinking about it, even for a 12-year-old. And one of the biggest barriers to us teaching self-regulated learning in school is an expectation perhaps of our young people not being able to self-regulate. And so we don't give them those opportunities. I always think, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, they might not be able to self-regulate at the 10 but maybe they can self-regulate just a little bit better than where they are now. And so where in your case, you're getting them to sit on the floor uh, mm -hmm. and you're making that choice for them. Is there scope for students? And I used to play with this with, with my classes in year seven, 
where I would always start the year very structured in the same way that you know I was very much regulating their behavior to some degree at the start of the year. And then once there was kind of an established classroom culture, I would start to sort of pull away the structures and go, okay, today you can actually, you can choose if you, you know, if you want to come down to the floor, which we didn't have in year seven, but you know, if you wanted to come to the middle of the class and sit in those tables, or if you want to stay at the side, that's okay. You make a positive choice about which of those spaces is going to best support your attention for the next 10 minutes, because we're going to do some instruction. And really that became a really If I saw behavior that didn't align with my expectation for what high attention looked like and engagement, it just was a really nice platform to have a conversation. So I remember a student and and me going to that student saying, hey, just checking in, you've made a choice to sit in. I'm just curious whether you're seeing what I'm seeing, but it doesn't look like that's supporting your attention. Do you need to change your choice or is that choice still the best choice for you? And so really putting it back on the student to make a choice about where they're sitting, what they're doing in that moment and how that's helping them regulate their attention. Does that make sense? It 100% makes sense. And I think that even just reflecting on my own practice, I think that attention is incredibly valuable. Without attention, I don't feel like learning can take place at all. Therefore, I should want to develop students' capacity to regulate their own attention. So if I'm bringing students to the floor, and a lot of the time we'll use whiteboards on the floor, I'm going to trial this in the next couple of weeks when the students come back. Let's say, all right, I want you to give yourself a rating of one to 10, one being didn't listen at all, 10 being listened to everything and felt like I was tuned in the whole time. Give yourself a rating and then write one thing that you could do better next time in order to bring it up a step. Therefore, they're thinking about how hard did I focus or how well did I attend? And what were the things that stopped me? What could I do better next time? And that might only take a minute or two, but then I can cue them the next time that we have a session on the floor to say, think about that thing that you said you were gonna do. I wanna make sure that you do that now. So it's unrelated to the content that I'm teaching, but it's the teaching that attention is important and a strategy to help attend better. I love it. We should have an episode that just unpacks the data that you collect from that because (laughs) it'd be so great to see how do 12-year-olds metacognitively reflect on their own attention? What does that look like? And what are the factors that they're reporting? That are stopping them? I'd love to know know the kinds of things that they would say that have stopped them from listening or stopped them from focusing. What a fantastic conversation. I think if you can prioritize the time to engage in that reflective process, I think that would be so powerful for your young people. And just so that we give the listeners at home something like a strategy that students can work on when they are attending independently, you have a post-it note strategy that you like to use, which is very valuable. Yeah, it's a post-it note strategy. It falls under self-recording. And so essentially what I get students to do is I give them a post-it note. And you can listen to some other podcasts that I've been on to explain this in further detail. You've done this with your students as well, where you, you have a conversation about what on-task and off-task behaviors look like. And then essentially all they're doing on the post-it note is creating a tally, which are you like probably- a chart? Yeah, like a T-chart? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, you can even, or, or just focus on them creating a tally for engaging the off task. And the action is not about you collecting it in as a teacher. It's not about a competition and comparing students and their tallies. It is about the students recognizing that when they make a check or a point on that tally, that in that moment, they say to themselves, okay, I've realized that I'm off task. Now I need to get back on back on task. Mm. And the conversations that come from reflections on those post-it notes, on those tallies, 
is really powerful in developing metacognitive awareness of our attention and where we're allocating it. And it's so simple. I remember you had the, when we were doing this sort of PhD research, you had a table and you had actually some of the off-task behaviors and the students actually were telling in those checkboxes. Mm. Yeah, the post-it note one, there's definitely plenty of information out there for it. But if you want more, email me, let me know. Otherwise, Rory, we'll continue the conversation about attention, no doubt, in future episodes. Looking forward to it. I take care. Cheers, mate. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. And if you have any questions, and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram, at ed to self As always, to you and everyone else out there, keep regulating.